This podcast is sponsored by IdealWorkspace.com, which promotes a healthier way of working through their adjustable standing desk. Check out their latest smart adjustable standing desk at aspirus.co, A-S-P-I-R-U-S.co. Welcome to Analyze Asia, the podcast dedicated to dissect the pulse of business, technology, and media in Asia. In this episode, I have an interesting discussion with Eva Xiao from Techno on Tencent, the holding company behind the two successful messaging apps in China, QQ and WeChat. In the first part of the two-episode arc, Eva and I will look at the vision, mission, and corporate structure and the state of QQ in Tencent's portfolio today. Hi Eva. Hi Bernard. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. How about you? I'm well. And you're based in Shanghai, right? Yes. And we are talking to Eva Xiao, reporter at TechNote.com, which is probably China's largest tech news media. So Eva, great to have you on the show. And today's topic is probably of interest to many of my audience out there. But I want to get to know you better. I wanted to know, how do you get started in journalism? Sure. First of all, Bernard, I just wanted to thank you for inviting me onto your podcast. Very honored to be here. And I started my career, I guess, in journalism started about one or two years ago, but I became interested while I was a undergraduate student in the U.S. I was influenced by a professor that I had who was also an investigative journalist. So that's really when I became interested in this field. And while I was a student, I majored in computer science, actually. So tech reporting is a nice marriage of my two interests. So what bring you from the US to China? So there's two parts. I'm an American-born Chinese. I suppose technically I'm a CBC. I was born in Canada, but I moved to the US when I was two. So I'm more of an honorary Canadian. But both of my parents are Chinese. So part of my move to China was motivated by personal reasons because my grandparents, my aunts, uncles, my cousins, all of them live in China. So moving back here is a great way for me to reconnect with them. And then professionally, after I graduated, I took a project management job. So two parts. And then as well, like many Chinese Americans, when I grew up, I wasn't so connected with China. So for me, I'm still sometimes I tell friends I'm an undercover lot wet or a foreigner because I look Chinese. But culturally, my perspective is very American. Living in China, working in China also appealed to me because it's quite exotic, still quite exciting to live in a different country. And you definitely speak Mandarin as part of your language as well, right? Yes. So as a reporter at Techno, obviously that's very useful to interview people in Chinese, especially if they're more comfortable in speaking Chinese rather than, or Mandarin, I should specify. It's a Mandarin rather than English. So what are your areas of coverage in Techno? At Techno, to be quite frank, my coverage is very broad. Sometimes I cover things like green tech, education, social enterprise, but I also cover consumer behavior, cross-border e-commerce, fintech, social network, virtual reality. It's really a widespread. So do you talk to a lot of startups or even like major corporations within China itself? Yes, I would say for bigger companies, particularly BAT, that's Baidu, Alibaba, Tencent, I usually communicate with their PR representatives. But I do have the chance to talk with local startups or meet startups and investors at conferences. Which comes to the topic today, BAT. So we're going to talk about one of the three BAT, which is Tencent. It's an interesting company founded in 1998. 
Revenue is about 102.9 billion RMB, which approximately to 15.9 billion USD. And its current market cap is about 1.4 trillion Hong Kong dollars, which sums up to be about US $200 billion, which I want to use Facebook as a comparison, which is at US $340 billion, listed in the Hong Kong Stock Exchange with two significant owners, the MIH Group under Naspers, which is a very big media conglomerate from South Africa which owns 35.1% and the founder Ponima 9.1%. The first question I wanted to ask you is, what is the vision and mission of the Tencent Group as a whole? So on paper and also publicly, Tencent says that their vision and mission is using technology to enrich the lives of internet users. I think maybe a more direct way to translate that is connecting. So they have the connection portion and also content. A big part of Tencent's strategy is what they call the online or maybe even now mobile lifestyle strategy. So that means using the social aspects of their company. So you can think WeChat or QQ to pull in different services through that social core. Of course, we'll talk about more later. So the online lifestyle strategy really helps them build an ecosystem of mobile services, whether that's, you know, payment, pulling in O2O, businesses, communication, entertainment, which encompasses a lot of things, including gaming, you know, movies, even VR, which is newer for Tencent, and then also social networking, of course. So all of that wrapped together, I would say, under Tencent, Tencent's vision and mission boils down to their online lifestyle strategy and also their emphasis on connecting services, you know, users as well. And then, of course, content. With every interesting company behind, there's the people. Who are the key executives of Tencent and what do they do and who would be the most important people that we should talk to when we approach Tencent? As you know, Tencent, because it has such a wide variety of businesses and services, it also has a lot of people on their management team. Uh, I would say, as you mentioned earlier, there's Pony Ma, who's the founder. And then there's also quite a diverse group of people on this team. So aside from Pony Ma, who pays a lot of attention to the details around Tencent's products, there's also Martin Lau, who's the president of Tencent. And he's one of two Goldman Sachs alumni on the team, the other one being James Mitchell, the senior chief strategy officer. So Martin Lau, a lot of people describe Pony Ma as being quite reclusive and shy and not really interacting with media too much. And I would say Martin Lau is more of the public voice and face of Tencent, especially for international audience, since he's obviously fluent in English. But Martin Lau will, you know, talk about Tencent, do talks. I think for him as a president of Tencent, he's a good pair with Pony Ma, who can stay, you know, behind the scenes, maybe in terms of the eye of the media, whereas Martin Lau will be quoted more in interviews or do videos, things like that. Martin Lau actually spoke in the Stanford Graduate School of Business about Tencent as a social company, right? Yes. So that's an example of how Martin Lau will go down and he went through Tencent's, the company's roadmap of how it developed. And he explains different trends in China that Tencent kind of grew and developed with. So I think that offers through Martin Lau, you can, at least from a reporter's perspective, you can gain some insights into the company. There's also someone from the US, David Wallerstein, who's based in Palo Alto. So he's in charge of international expansion for the company. There's the president of the Weixin or WeChat group. So that's Alan Zhang. So his Chinese name is Zhang Xiaolong. You know, before he had created Foxmail and then in, and now he manages the product and 
team for WeChat and QQ Mail. So I think he's also an important executive to keep in mind. And then finally, this also the last person I'll mention, just to give people a sense of how diverse the management team is, is Sai Lau. So he's he was born in Malaysia, and he's in charge of Tencent's online media group. And unlike, so about half of the management team has a background academically in engineering and computer science. I would say Sai Lau is a little bit different because he comes with, you know, roughly 20 years of advertising experience, which is very important because the online media group, which includes QQ.com, some of these news portals, basically the media as part of Tencent, he's in charge of that, which drives advertising revenue. So I guess he would be the last person that I would just highlight in Tencent's management team. And he won the Keynes Lion Media Person of the Year Award. Yes. So just to give you an idea of that, some people, some other pretty well-known tech executives that have won that award are Eric Schmidt from Google and Mark Zuckerberg from Facebook. So it's quite an achievement. I think there was one name that that you mentioned, but I think he's the James Mitchell, who is the senior executive vice president for the strategy. And he's also recently been mentioned on the information podcast. So who is he and what what is his role then? So like Martin Lau, he also comes from an investment banking background as a Goldman Sachs alumnus. So he's in charge of strategy. So this can be, you know, the investments that Tencent makes, for example. So I think and he's from the UK. So I think that's from all these different people and their backgrounds, you can see that Tencent's management team has a lot of different types of people from the top areas, you know. So the company is headquartered in Shenzhen, and of course, it it spreads to all over the world now. What is the culture like in Tencent? Is it run run more like a traditional Chinese company, or has it had some mixture of Western company within them? So I think there's a mix of both, which makes sense given who's on Tencent's management team. So I've never worked at Tencent, so it's kind of hard to get kind of a close look at exactly how everything works. But You know, there's some things, details that make it seem more like a typical Western tech company. For example, they aggressively recruit fresh graduates, which is something that a lot of tech companies do. Most, a lot of tech companies in Silicon Valley, for example, have a, their average age is, you know, maybe 28 or very, very young. At the same time, what I've heard, and this is more anecdotal from people who have worked at Tencent or know people who have worked at Tencent, what I hear is that Tencent's working culture is more corporate. So that could be things like, like having a more standard working hours. Of course, Tencent's a huge company, so I expect there to be a lot of variation among different departments at different levels of the company. But those are some things I've heard, and as well as different departments getting kind of benefits like afternoon tea service or these little perks that also remind you of Silicon Valley tech startups, which are known for being quite generous with like nap rooms or you know, snack rooms, things like that. So I think there are elements that remind you of a Western company. But I think if you have to look at, you know, who the manager is, and if it's a lower level, more local, or depending on the department, it might be more Chinese. How's the career growth like in Tencent, for example? This, again, I'm, I'm sorry, I can't get like a uh, official source on this. Tencent is notorious for being controlling its its PR, so being more closed than maybe other companies. But again, from what I've heard, different departments at Tencent can be quite siloed from an employee's perspective. So this could mean that you work there for a few years and you may only understand your department. And then in that sense, career growth is more difficult because your tasks and responsibilities are so kind of specialized or separate, obviously, for efficiency and productivity. 
that comes to the most interesting part of the conversation is about the businesses that's driving the business growth of Tencent. Of course, to all my audience, if you haven't heard long enough, is Tencent is actually the holding company behind one of the most powerful messaging service in the world called WeChat. So, but I thought maybe Eva, you can actually educate us more. What are the current businesses that are driving the business growth of Tencent? Sure. So as you mentioned, WeChat is definitely one of those. We'll dive into that more deeply later, but there's WeChat, but also QQ, which is also a messaging platform. And that, that's kind of the root of Tencent. That's how it began, essentially. So there's the social networking aspect, which includes WeChat and QQ, and also something called QZone, which is more of like a social networking platform or even blogging. So you can share photos and posts and things like that. Of course, there's online gaming, which is really essential to Tencent's business growth. So after QQ, later on, Tencent got into gaming, which is really lucrative in China. China has the highest gaming revenue in the world, surpassing the US. So online games is a big component of Tencent's business. And that refers to both mobile and PC games. And not just games created by Tencent, but Tencent has also, you know, bought stakes in Riot Games, Epic Games. So they have a wide portfolio of different types of games from, you know, hardcore games to more casual, casual games. And then finally, I would say that content and media are a big part of Tencent's business. So Tencent also runs QQ.com, which is a news portal, but they also have QQ Music. They have partnered with other media companies like Disney and HBO. They partner with ESPN and NBA to bring in live broadcasting of sports to their users. They've also built up quite a platform for different kinds of media content. And also recently, The Verge, which is a very well-known tech site in US, is actually going to go through a partnership with Tencent to go into China, right? Yes. Through WeChat as well. Yes. What are the core products and value-added services of Tencent and how are these value-added services that actually drives up the revenues? I guess you, you give a very good perspective about the social networking platforms, the online games and the media content, but how does it actually work in the business? Sure. So first of all, I would say that as a reporter, I feel I'm really glad that Tencent is a public company and has to publish these detailed investor reports because they offer a lot of insight into their business, which I think it's hard to get otherwise. So I'll first talk about the value add services at Tencent. There was a quote that I read from a fast company profile of Tencent, which I think sums it up really well, which is Tencent makes a ton of money by scraping together pennies from tiny transactions. So with value added services, I think there are two key components. One is a VIP membership system that Tencent runs. And this is the start through QQ. QQ has its own currency system. So they have Q coins and one Q coin is equivalent to one renminbi. So with these Q coins, you can buy a membership, buy a VIP a membership, which is which has eight different tiers. And of course, going up to a higher level requires more credit. So for example, if you want to jump, so VIP one, for example, is the bottom. And if you want to jump to VIP two, well, you need 600 credits above that. So it's a pyramid structure. So jumping from VIP one to VIP two requires 600 credits, but VIP two to VIP three requires three times that. So 1,800 credits. And in order to go up the different levels of VIP membership in under Tencent, you have to pay a monthly or yearly membership fee. So a month is roughly, you know, 10 renminbi and maybe a year is about 120 renminbi. And every day you'll 
earn, depending on your VIP level, you earn different credits. So in this way, by subscribing, it's, it's really not that much money, right? 10 renminbi, which is, you know, a little bit more than one US dollar. And then for a year, it's 120 renminbi. But through these, Tencent makes a large part of its revenue. So in 2015, that was 78% of Tencent's revenue. And from the user side, if you become a VIP member, you get access to different types of benefits. So for example, if you have a QQ email account, you can increase the size of your inbox, you know, from maybe three gigabytes to eight gigabytes. Or you can take part in special events where you win special items for games or get discounts to Meituan Dianping, which is a company that Tencent bought a 20% stake in. And those can give you discounts and maybe food, a lot of other O2 services. So through this, Tencent has been able to generate quite a lot of revenue. And then the second value-added service I would bring up is Tencent's freemium models. So it's the idea, again, like the VIP membership, where a lot of small digital purchases will add up. For example, if you play a game, you have the choice to buy extra lives or special weapons. And then QQ also has something called QQ Show, which is a way to, you have an avatar and you can express yourself to this avatar. So suppose you want to buy a special kind of shirt that's on QQ Show. Well, you know, that's a small bit of money, but that's part of the freemium model. And then on QQ, of course, you can, if you, you have Q coins, you can get things like have an ad-free experience, put background music on, things like that. So it sounds a little underwhelming, but these little value-added services make up the majority of Tencent's revenue. So aside from value-added services, the other sizable chunk of Tencent's revenue is advertising. So that, that was about 17% of Tencent's revenue in 2015. So under advertising, there's a few different channels that exist on Tencent. There's, I mentioned earlier, there's QQ.com, which is a news portal. And then there's also Tencent Video, the QQ messaging platform. So QQ, before WeChat, QQ was Tencent's core messaging service. And in QQ, there's also in-feed ads. So if you think about the news feed, QQ also has ads that are that pop up there. That has been slowly growing as Tencent expands the different channels for advertising. And of course, with WeChat, Tencent is currently, you know, trying to think about how to pull in advertising, more advertising to WeChat without disrupting the the user's experience. So I would say those two are the, the lion's share of the revenue. We talk about those two products, which is QQ and WeChat. I think we will start from QQ first because QQ is actually Tencent's first product as an instant messaging app on the desktop and found the business model to monetize successfully against MSN Messenger, Yahoo and Skype. What is the current relevance to Tencent's bottom line now? Even though WeChat has surpassed QQ in terms of their monthly active users, I would I would say QQ is still quite relevant to Tencent's business in that it appeals to a younger audience and it's more focused on entertainment. So if you go into QQ, you have links to QQ Games, but also QZone, the social networking platform. You have QQ Music and QQ Show, which I mentioned before is kind of a personal expression via avatar type of platform. So, and QQ Games and QQ Music and QQ Show all drive revenue at Tencent. So I think it's still important and something else to keep in mind is that people who have grown up with qq or even some chinese companies they use qq for internal and external communication so i remember in my old project management job i would use qq to talk with other chinese companies and that still happens now although who knows that might change with you know wechat's new enterprise version 
but I think QQ is still still quite relevant for t- Tencent's business. And what is the current number of users on QQ? For example, how much are they into the mobile world? Then? So for QQ Mobile, they have 642 million smartphone monthly active users. That's not a trivial number of users for sure. And for the instant messaging? So instant messaging is a little higher. It's 853 million. Um, and that's the desktop version. To talk about the business models for QQ and WeChat pretty well just now. I mean, specifically just for QQ itself, what is driving their growth then? Right. So earlier I mentioned that QQ brings together a lot of entertainment services. So I think through QQ, obviously there's the gaming aspect. If you just looked at the desktop version, well, that would be more perhaps games to the PC. But so there's the gaming and then VIP subscription. So like I mentioned earlier, QQ has a currency type called QCoin. So that obviously came from QQ. And that currency flows through different part, different services. So if you go to QQ Show or you go to, if you're playing a game, a QQ game, that currency is the same throughout all of those. So I would say, again, the gaming part where you can, you know, buy special weapons or something like that. Uh, and then also VIP subscriptions, the ad-free benefit that I mentioned earlier. These are all things tied to QQ that drive revenue. Thank you, Eva. We have come to an end of the first of the two episodes arc. In the next episode, Eva and I will discuss WeChat and whether the two messaging apps will cannibalize each other and the future of Tencent with their current investment portfolio. Stay tuned.